0: Welcome to the Richard Blackbee Leadership Podcast, helping people take their leadership to the next level. Brought to you by Blackbee Ministries International.
1: Well, Richard, we've wrapped up the Experiencing God mini series. We have. That, uh, people was...
2: thought we never would. <laughs> I'm sure we'll return to it.
1: Yeah, yeah, I'm sure there'll be some some follow up here and there, but uh, that's that's behind us, and uh, it turned out to not be. Too mini of a series, <laughs> <laughs> a bit of an epic mini series, and uh, but it was it was fun to do. We got a lot of great uh, feedback from that, mm-hmm. and uh, so today we're back on to the leadership book review. And uh, tell us th- th- this this book that that we have. We we try to announce these in advance, and and as if you guys have been listening, you know we're reading the character of leadership. Yeah, and uh, they take a a look at the uh, the principles of Machiavelli, which yeah. On the face of it, this seems a bit uh, dangerous and kind of out of character, perhaps, for a Black leadership yeah. podcast, so why don't you explain yeah. some of you this know, for It uh, doesn't
2: sound It's not. This is not coming from the Sermon on the Mount today, no. but
1: uh, yeah, I've uh,
2: I've taught a number of PhD and doctorate ministry seminars over the years, and uh, a lot of times I'll have this as one of the books to be read, and so I'll have some very spiritual, godly books in there, but Uh, But then I'll put this one in and it's actually written by two Christians uh, for primarily nonprofits, but uh, this would also certainly apply to business as well. And uh, yeah, it's called the character of leadership and the subtitle. Political Realism and Public Virtue in Nonprofit Organizations. And uh, a little kind of uh, promo at the top says, Rethinking Good Leadership in Light of a Fresh Encounter with Machiavelli. It's written by Michael Jenkins and Deborah Bradshaw Jenkins. Uh, And, uh, you know, one of the things that I I like about this book, I I think it's a good corrective. I think it's, you have to read this book carefully. I've had actually some people in seminars where I've required this book Uh, that they, they told me later, they said it actually made them angry the first chapter or so why they should even read this. And it went so contrary to, uh, what they believed in, in terms of Christian leadership and so on. But uh, the more they read into it, the more they began to realize, boy, this is a very practical book because it deals with real life stuff that you face, uh, in leadership and so, uh,
1: yeah, I think people's gut reaction to anything about Machiavelli <laughs> is is typically, you know, like that's yeah. not good. Stay away. And of course, if you read Machiavelli, it's
2: considered a classic uh, in in literature and political leadership thought. But uh, he, um, but basically, you know, he's talking about the pragmatic uh, approach to leadership. How do you make leadership work? And especially when. Organizations are complicated. Uh, I mean, it'd be great if everybody did the right thing and they were all good people. If you, if, um, you, when people don't do the right thing, when evil is pervasive and people are deceptive and there's power plays and people trying to undermine your leadership, well, then sometimes you need more of a Machiavellian type of approach uh, to leadership. Yeah. And so, you know, I, it's interesting because I just had, uh, a guy contacted me this week and he said I've heard this story Sam so many times that it just uh, it 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 angers me mm. real honestly but um uh, uh, over and over again in fact I we'll, I think our next uh, little mini series may be on this but uh but what this is what'll happen a, a church is struggling it's declining it's aging it, it's getting to the point where it's it's emptying out it can't pay its bills So they call a a pastor who's willing to come to this very messed up congregation. And this pastor loves Jesus, loves people, loves the gospel. And he just starts to love on people and reach out and they, and they start growing again. And this particular guy, he's, uh, he's ending up baptizing a bunch of new converts. People are coming to church. They, in this case, uh, they actually built a new building, a brand new, uh, uh, part of their facility everything's going great. And you talk to this pastor and he thinks uh, God is good. Boy, God's at work. The gospel is being shared. People are finding Christ. And then uh, one day he gets bushwhacked by two deacons. And these two older men just vent on him and actually use profanity with him. They get so angry telling him that he's ruined the church and he's changed all the music to stuff they can't stand. And uh, he's... Making decisions without running it past people like them, and uh, they've lost control, and it's just best that he leave and so of course, this pastor completely caught off guard totally by surprise I mean he as far as he was concerned, this was just glorious, and things were wonderful. He didn't see this coming at all, and so he's completely shocked he's thrown completely out balance, and so as often happens uh, he feels like, wow, I must have completely misread this. Maybe I'm not the leader I thought I was. Maybe Mm -hmm. things aren't as good as I thought they were. And so he resigns and he leaves. And now these carnal, profane, ungodly men have the church back under their control again. And very quickly the church declines in attendance again. A lot of the new people leave and it's back to the struggling uh, church that these men can control. That that story happens over and over and over and over again, and every time I talk to these pastors, uh, they'll say, "I I just I just didn't see it. I I'm completely flabbergasted. I thought everything yeah. was great. I thought everybody loved me. That they all loved God. They loved the direction. They the, every. I just assumed that a church that was dying would be thrilled that it was growing again and reaching new people, and this is what uh, Machiavelli and what the Jenkins would call. Uh, a a lack of realism Mm. they did he says leaders must deal in reality and he says too often leaders are naive they see the organization that they want to have what they would like it to be but they don't see the the organization as it really is the the real politic would be the sort of technical word to say what is the condition here Uh, I know these people have called me to be their leader their pastor their CEO but underlying that, I sense hostility, ambition, uh, resistance, naysayers. Uh, and so how do you lead where you, you, you're very much aware of the landmines that are out there before you? You're, you're not so naive to think that just because no one uh, you know, complains or speaks out against you in a public meeting that they're all for you. Uh, just because no one is criticizing you to your face doesn't mean that there's not all kinds of gossiping going on behind closed doors. And so it's a darker, seemier side of leadership, mm. but anyone who's led for very long knows that even in the church, even in places where you assume you're dealing with good people, Christian people, there's evil. And there are people that don't tell you the truth and they don't, What they, what they say to your face is not what they say behind your back. And Uh, people who claim to be your friends will stab you in the back the first chance they have. Sadly, that's also part of leadership. And so that's why, uh, I usually want people to at least be exposed to a book like this. Uh, because they, you just need to have that in your tool belt. You, hopefully you don't have to deal with that often, but, but I tell leaders this, you, you, you can't be 100% um, certain of this, but, uh, if you get if you get bushwhacked, if you get completely caught by surprise, if key leaders in your organization, maybe direct reports or VPs uh, or deacons or elders, if one day you, you think they're your friends and the next day they're trying to fire you, if you're that out of touch with where they're at, then it may well be that you've not been leading as well as you should have, hmm. that you've been naive about some things. You've been looking at things as the way you want them to be, not the way they actually are. And uh and so th- I think it's good to at least be aware of these issues. It it will mean that it's less likely you're gonna be caught by surprise at some point in your leadership career.
1: Yeah. So it it it's the book has got some practical uh advice in it for yeah, for lots dealing with that. Lots so what, what are some of the, the takeaways that you saw uh that, that you know you think are worth sharing? Well, there's there's some great quotes in here. Uh, one of them
2: I like is, "However inspiring martyrs may be, they do a poor job of leading organizations over the long haul."
1: Yeah, uh, I like that one. <laughs> uh,
2: yeah, and uh, and I tell you, especially in the church, these pastors so often they appear to be martyrs. They, you know, two or three people run them out of a church where there's a couple of hundred who like them, who love them. And it's like, how could you let two, three people run you out of a church where there's at least a hundred, uh, who love you and are brokenhearted that you leave. And, mm. and, and, but they uh, typically they'll say, well, I didn't want that kind of conflict. I knew it was going to get ugly. Uh, there was going to be a lot of mudslinging or they, I didn't want my wife to go through that or my husband to hear that or my kids to hear that. So they'll just say, I just thought it was better to leave. And. So they leave and you, and you sort of feel sorry because these are very godly, nice people uh, that didn't deserve to be treated that way. And we all kind of feel sorry for them. And essentially they're martyrs, uh, nice people that got sacrificed uh, to the interests of evil people. Uh, but what this book is saying is you, you can maybe think highly of a martyr, but you don't want a martyr leading you. <laughs> you know, I don't want a martyr leading me into a charge uh, right. against the enemy. I want someone that looks the enemy over and says, this is how we will overcome the enemy. Uh, and so if you're a leader, don't, don't uh, lead like a martyr. Uh, Hmm. you think highly of martyrs. You think, wow, I was a really nice person, but they just didn't lead us well. And so that's a great quote. And, uh, and you know that the politically, they, one of the examples they use is that of Neville Chamberlain, uh, of course, the Prime Minister of England, yeah. who who took on uh, Winston, or took on uh, Adolf Hitler, right? And uh, and he came back and he got Adolf Hitler to sign a, a document, promising to be good, you know. Yeah. And uh, Chamberlain comes back and famously waves this piece of paper that Adolf Hitler signed and says, "We have peace for our time, you know, peace with honor." and uh, of course, he doesn't have that. He's been lied to. He's been—he's basically naively assumed that, as a British gentleman, he can just sit down, man to man, with Hitler and work out a deal. And he completely misreads the whole situation, misreads the person he's dealing with, and the, and plunges the country into certain war. Uh, and so this book says, y- y- you have got to be realistic and. And that, and, and don't be a martyr where you set yourself up to be damaged and and betrayed. Um, and so that's a great one. Uh, he he says a couple other things I think that are great. Um, one is another one he says is that it's easier to to back down from a yes or, or from a no than it is from a yes. And I think that's a interesting.
1: Yeah, so there. Can you unpack that a little bit. Yeah, uh, what does like, it mean to back down from a easier to back down from a no than it is to back down from a yes?
2: Well, he would say that, if, for instance, if you come into a new management position and you, maybe you're promoted to you're okay, you're going to be manager of these people, and you want them to you want your direct reports to like you, so that so you can count on it when you have a new uh, leadership role. People are going to come and say, hey, you know, do you think it'd be OK if we do this? Would it be OK if we if I sometimes came in late and, you know, maybe adjusted my schedule or could I leave early or could I do this? Could I do that? Um, and of course, you, you want people to like you. So your first instinct is to say, well, you know, I guess that would be OK. Or, you know, Seems we can okay. yeah. we can see how that would work. Or um, And so you, you basically say yes. But then for then there's always some people that will abuse uh, freedom. Yeah. Some people that will always want to push farther than what they were granted. And so at some point you realize, okay, this isn't working out. It's uh, They're taking advantage of this uh, freedom they have. They're not being responsible. They're not uh, internally motivated to work hard when they're not being supervised. I'm going to have to tighten things up. I'm going to have to say, okay, I know I said yes, but now I need to say no. I need to qualify it. and uh, And so, but once you've given freedom to somebody, what they're saying is it's really hard to take that freedom away. Mm. Well, you said that we could, you know, you promised when we started this, you told us it was okay. Like, well, now you're changing your mind, you know, and you can't take this away from us. We, we have a right, uh, because you said that one time earlier, Uh, but what, what the the Jenkins would say and what Machiavelli would say is when in doubt, say no. (laughs) If you've got some red flags, if you have some concerns, if you're not sure how that would work out, you're being pressured, well, can we or can't we? We need to know. Would you let us do this? If if you feel any kind of pressure and you've got some red flags saying, I'm not so sure this is going to work. I don't know these people well enough. I don't know if I could trust them with this freedom. Then he says, better to say no. You know what? If you just need an answer right now, it's no. Uh, I just I, 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 I'm, I'm going to think some more, but for now, no. Well then, if you watch these folks and you realize they're very internally motivated, very responsible, uh, very reliable, very loyal, well then you can come back later and say, you know what, um, the 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 standard rule is no, but in this case, I think I'm going to let you have this extra freedom you know it, so the 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 operating principle is no you normally you can't do this yeah but i'm going to make an exception for you here and say yes in this case you can on for this particular situation i'm going to let you have some more freedom well he says then of course people appreciate you because <laughs> you said no but now you sh- you're showing trust you're, you they've earned some uh, some respect from you and so you're going to you're going to lighten up a little bit, at least in this case. He says always better to do it that way, uh, which is just very practical advice. Yeah. Uh, One other thing he says is that uh, better to be uh, respected as a leader than loved. Mm. And again, you have to kind of think that through a little bit. But of course, you really want both. You want people to respect you and like you. Most, most leaders like that. They want yeah, that.
1: Most people in general. Yeah. be liked. Um, but he
2: says, if you ever get to a place where you have to decide one or the other. Yeah. You know, what happens a lot of times is, and I mean, you, you even see this when you try to lead at home. If you're a parent and you want your kids just to love you so you don't discipline them. Mm. Uh, you don't ever set any limit, You never hold them accountable because you just want them to love you. Well, when they, when they lose their respect for you, oftentimes they'll also lose their love for you. Mm. Um, but, uh, and so he would say, uh, if if be careful because it's, it's fine to do nice things for your employees and those you lead, but be careful because if they ever lose their respect for you, if you become, if you become seen as a doormat that they just can take advantage of and you always say, yes, you always back down, you never hold them accountable. Then at a certain point, they just have a field day and not only will they not, respect you, but they won't like you either.
1: Yeah. And you know, growing up, I I had, uh, I I knew some folks who had no respect for their parents and, and that's hard to watch. And, and you just see the zero control that the parent has.
2: Uh, And it's just such a bad deal because you you don't get anything ultimately. You don't get their love or their respect.
1: Hmm. Well, let's take a quick break here. And, uh, I, I imagine there's some, uh, ways that which you could take some of these principles too far so maybe yeah. we'll <laughs> look at some of the darker side of this uh, when we come back
0: twice a year black ministries hosts a spiritual leadership coaching workshop in the atlanta area the focus of this workshop is learning how to ask the right questions to help move people onto god's agenda the next workshop is november 4th through 6th and registration is open now The early bird rate is available until October 1st, and space is limited. To find out more and to register, visit blackabycoaching.org. Links will be in the show notes.
1: Well, Richard, this is definitely some very interesting uh, stuff here from this book and from Machiavelli. Uh, I think you had one more Quote you wanted to share with us, and then we'll look at the dark side. Yeah, the dark <laughs> yeah. side of Machiavelli. One other. Yeah, there's lots.
2: There's lots of good statements in here. I think that are great. He talks quite a bit about understanding culture of an organization. Yeah, if you're, uh, which is another way of just saying, get the, the lay of the land. Know yeah. know, know what people, you're working know what's with. What's happening. Uh, but but he also says something, they say something I think that's great. They say, um, we do not learn from experience. We learn from disciplined reflection on experience. Uh, you, you can have the same experience six times. You, you could mm. six different times get fired from a job because you didn't lead well. You're, you may not be any wiser for it. Uh, when you keep repeating the same experience, you're not learning anything. Yeah. You would have changed what you're doing. They talk about disciplined reflection, where you actually take time to look back and say, how did I mishandle that? Maybe mm. I I tried to qualify a yes. Maybe I was too easygoing up front. And when I had to start tightening things up, then everything exploded in my face. Uh, okay, well, next time I'm going to try to qualify a no instead. That's easier. Uh, or maybe I was just too trusting. I just took everything at face value. Yeah. And, and that doesn't mean I'm rude to people, but it just means I don't, Quite show my hand, yeah early.
1: and he he mentions sort of having this focused skepticism uh as well, of uh, you know not you know not taking everything at face value and but but not being a total paranoid yeah person, but just knowing that there are maybe other things in play than what's being said to you when it's being said to you. Those sort of things. Right. And, and so that's why it just says, be, you know, watch for your idealism. I mean,
2: it's great to have an ideal, but, but leadership deals with reality. And, yeah. uh, so it's fine to have a vision of where your organization may be at, at some point, but you have to deal with where your organization is right now.
1: Yeah. The idealism I think is fun and exciting. Yeah. Right. And like you like to look out and say, Oh, this is what it could be. And wouldn't that be great? And it's, it's, it's a
2: vision. It's where you may want to get your organization to where you do have really supportive, good people that you can trust. But that's not necessarily what you've got to work with now. So it says you, you know you you always kind of have this certain skepticism, where you, it doesn't mean you're necessarily a negative person, but you you don't you just don't take things at face value. You you, yeah. you dig dig a little deeper uh, before you commit yourself. And before you show your hand or, or make some long-term commitments. Um, now he says, uh, they say a couple of things I think that you just have to be real careful with. Uh, one of those is, um, he says, this duplicity sometimes is a tool that leaders have to use. Mm. <laughs> and of course, Machiavelli is known for that kind of statement. That's what he's notorious for. But he says, uh, that what they say is that, for instance, uh, deception is seen as a vice in peacetime if you're de- if you deceive people, but in times of war, it's actually considered uh, a virtue. Right. Uh, you know, Winston Churchill had said the truth is so uh, precious in wartime that you have to surround it with bodyguards of lies. Hmm. Uh, and, uh, and so that's one that I think people really struggle with. Um, and so for instance, I, you know, an example of that might be Maybe this person that came to the to the church and wanted to, to change it, it's dying, it's filled with aging people and no youth anymore. And so uh, maybe they interview him as a pastor and one of the questions is, well, are you just going to change all of our music? Are you going to make us stop singing hymns and make us sing just modern choruses? Well, I think these people might say, you might not just flat out lie, but you might not tell them their worst case scenario, their worst fears and say, yeah, first thing I, when I get there, we're going to have to just change all the Ask music the that hymns. you like. You know, yeah. <laughs> you, you realize they're probably not going to call you then as pastor and they're probably going to die as a church. So uh, Machiavelli would say, in, in a sense, uh, this is a wartime situation where this, this church basically is going to die. And shut down unless it gets a major leadership intervention. So, so he would basically say, so you know, you just don't show all your your cards uh, in your hand, and you might be a little bit more nebulous and say, well, we'll, we'll certainly try not to change anything we don't have to. Uh, we'll we'll certainly try to hold on to all the things that are important to you as a church. Uh, but you know full well that in the long run, if you're going to start attracting younger families and teenagers, that you are going to have to certainly insert more modern music. And so, you know that, but you don't necessarily say it up front. Now, those uh, listeners might, you have to decide if that's uh, really w- what a godly person needs to do. I, I would tend to think, and we've talked a bit about this before, about leading change, that... Uh, there's there's other ways sometimes without deceiving yeah. and I think uh, th- there's ways to hold out the vision to you know I've talked about this before about saying well let me give you a vision of what it will look like in, yeah. in the church and, and how good it will be and it, it may just be appears so good what this church is one day going to be that you won't, won't even care about what music's being sung then um, but see the problem is that uh, Machiavelli would say, if you're the prince, if you're the leader, and you know that this organization has to make changes or it's going to die, then he would say, basically, you're justified in perhaps not being completely forthcoming and and upfront. But but the problem is that if you take that leadership principle, who's to decide when it's uh, worth being deceptive? I mean, for instance, yeah. I'll give you another example that's very uh, contemporary to today in the church life, and that is that I've known a number of times where churches were interviewing a pastoral candidate, and they asked, um, "Well, are you are you uh, are, are you aggressively promoting Calvinism? Uh, because this might be a church that's not has a doesn't have a Reformed tradition, it isn't Calvinistic, and doesn't want that being." preach from the pulpit all the time. Well, I've known, I've known some pastoral candidates who said, no, that's, that's not going to be an issue. Uh, that's not a front and center for me, when really it was. And so they were hired. And once they were in the pulpit, they began to preach every week on that and uh, to push it and, and uh, until the point where they lost a lot of church members. And I've known churches that were running 800 people in attendance when they called someone and after a couple of years of preaching the same doctrine week after week, uh, they alienated and offended so many people that they're down to 150 people. Hmm. And in that case, now that, you know, what I would say is certainly nothing wrong with Calvinistic doctrines, but that's something that you just need to be up front with and say, yes, this is important to me and I, I'll be preaching it regularly. Well, because it, you may think it's a wartime
0: situation,
2: right where even though they're running 800 people on a Sunday, that uh, the, the church is in dire danger if it doesn't uh, get preached to the way you think it should every week. Uh, but but there are lots of churches that would happily receive your preaching and your doctrinal emphasis. Go to one of those and be up front and say, yes, this is really important to me, and I'm, that's what I'm going to preach, and let them hire you. Uh, but the problem is that if you, there is a certain integrity issue to say, if this is important to me, uh, and and I'd say the same with some liberal doctrines. I've known some pastors that had some very liberal leanings. And they didn't, they weren't upfront about it when they were being interviewed. But then once they're in place, now they start to, it starts to all come out. So certainly in the church, it's, that's that's uh, important, but also in business. Uh, yeah, you know, you uh, if your people, if you say one thing to your people, but really you intend to do something else, inevitably that's going to erode your credibility. Yeah. Uh, and of course, with Machiavelli, that's what often happens. People start to think, we, we don't trust this guy. He'll, he'll play fast and loose with the truth, um, just depending on what he wants to get, how he wants to... Man- leadership with Machiavelli basically just becomes a tool of manipulation. Mm-hmm. How do I get these people and manipulate them to do what I want them to do? Uh, and so you have to just be careful with that.
1: Well, you know, I think it's I think it's good that we uh, read some books that are a little out of left field and yeah. uh, uh, maybe push a little bit of what we think of as, as leadership and some of the principles that we may hold dear or some of the idealism that that we uh, hang on to. And uh, but but I think it's important to read and and to take the good things that you can from it, principles that we can apply that we've talked about, but also be aware of the the uh, the over usage of of other principles or just the downright wrongness of, of uh, the thinking. And so. Yeah. Uh,
2: and there's sometimes obviously you can learn from things that you, you don't want to embrace fully. I Yeah. They, Machiavelli says cowardice is the leader's greatest vice. Hmm. And I've seen that at times. Well, we may have to have just a whole podcast on that, but uh, courage is so essential to good leadership. Yeah. And oftentimes what we say, well, we just don't want to, uh, bring, drag our organization through conflict, it, sometimes it's just really a declaration of cowardice. We're just saying it's just going to get ugly and I don't want to have to deal with that. So uh, so he would say you, you've got to have courage sometimes to wade into the dark, ugly places that uh, leadership takes you sometimes and have the courage to confront it and deal with it and go toe-to-toe with some pretty evil influences sometimes. But uh, someone has to do that. You can't keep kicking the can down the road uh, and say, well, I'll just go find some other place. At some point, some leaders got to have the courage to say, this is a messed up place. There's a lot of complicated power structures going on here. And uh, I'm just going to dig in my heels and do what it takes to get this place cleaned up and healthy once again
1: yeah well that's that's great and uh let us know your thoughts on the book and uh, if you have suggestions for future book reviews please drop us a line uh it's going to be podcast at blackaby.org and uh what do we have a book for next time we do uh, uh, just We're just for looking it for it here, it. here, but it's
2: uh, uh, it's going to be uh, overcoming the dark side of leadership. Ooh, all this dark, dark The side. dark. We're yeah. kind of on a dark theme right now yeah. by uh, the underbelly of leadership, uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and by Rima and uh, Macintosh, and uh, we'll have we'll have links to it in the, yeah, in the show notes for sure. Overcoming the dark side of leadership—it's a book actually that uh, when I was in a, an accountability group with three other men that we all read at one point uh, and I think certainly we need to look at this it's very relevant to today yeah. how is it that some very intelligent effective leaders still can have some real dark sides to them yeah. uh, that can sometimes sink their whole ship or at the very least disappoint followers to say yeah. how could a guy who's done so much good have these bad habits this yeah. dark side to them and uh, unfortunately it's more common than we'd like to
1: think yeah well, look forward to reading that next time, and uh, we'll talk to you next time.
0: Thanks for listening to the podcast. If this is something you enjoyed, review us on Apple Podcasts, and don't forget to subscribe and share with your friends. If you have questions or comments, please email us at podcast at